Greetings and salutations, everyone. It is your young guns. We are your tour guides in this never-ending, ever-winding road that is professional wrestling. Tonight, we will take a slight detour and head into the vault. That's right. So, by, I guess, listener demand, uh, we are going to head into the vault and review a show from years past. As always, we are your hosts. I'm Boris, and I'm joined by Matt. Bonjour! We've got nerve holds, tests of strength, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and of course, cocaine. It's 1989, Boris. That's right. It is 1989. Um, the year, man, it's just, it's crazy because I its I actually do remember watching wrestling back then. Um, I watched this event, one of the events that we're going to review in a little bit, uh, via Coliseum Home Video. So, you know, that was a real thing back then. Um, did you watch this show back then, or is it... Uh, so, I was a little young. I was two years old when this came out, but I was watching wrestling as early as three or four. Like, my earliest memories all kind of include wrestling. Like, I don't have a time in my life when I wasn't really a wrestling fan and had a developed brain, you know what I mean? So, I have gone back and watched this and did watch it as a kid, but I don't think I watched it live because I was two. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I wasn't much older, but, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I did watch this via Coliseum Home Video. I'm pretty sure we didn't get the uh, the cable de-scrambler, um, as that's what you had to use to watch pay-per-views. You <laughs> had to go to the pay-per-view or to your cable company, pick up the box, make the call, and get it all set up. And it was just a hassle. It was crazy how, how we had to watch shows back then. Um, oh, but yeah. yeah. Actually, back back in the day, I used to get there was a there was an old man who had like the the dish descrambler, and he used to get all the WCW and WWF pay per views, but they would come in with no sound. So I would originally watch the shows the day after with no sound, and I would still I would still do it because I loved wrestling so much. And then I would I would later see him on Coliseum Video and piece together actually what happened. But I would I would also some, sometimes do play by play with my friends over the matches, and we kind of had fun with it. But yeah, for like a solid like three or four years there, from like ninety three to about ninety six, ninety seven, that's how I was watching wrestling, Boris. Soundless. That is crazy, but it's kind of cool at the same time, you know. Um, you probably had better stories in your mind than what was actually going on. Definitely had a vivid imagination. I was also getting the uh, the WWF magazine at the time, so filling in lots of stories that way as well. And that's crazy. It's so crazy how we consumed wrestling back then versus how we consume it now. Um, I think you and I have a very weird experience because you know we were so young. You know, it was a different, it was a different age for us. It was a different generation almost for us back then. Um, whereas you know, if you were to talk to Dan or Jason or Joe, you know, they might have a different experience in how they consumed it um, versus how we consumed the shows. You know, back in '89. So. I think, you know, the way that we see these shows is super different than uh, other people, but it's still fun. It's still valid. We're going to have fun with it. So, you know, I just want to give a shout out to the listeners who kind of um, asked for these shows. Uh, so it's really cool that they were able to do that. Um, and, you know, that's why we, we, we wanted to get the show out there. And also, you know, for those of you who are wondering, where are NXT you? NXT TV review shows are. They've moved over to the SNME Radio uh, Patreon feed. Uh, you can go to SNME Radio, Sunday Night's Main Event Radio, and you can check 
out how to sign up and do all that fun stuff. But, you know, we still want to give our regular listeners something to listen to. So here on the It's Canon podcast feed, we're going to be giving you some specials from time to time. And this is going to be one. So without further ado, we're going to be chatting primetime wrestling from November 20, um, the 20th, correct? Yes, November 20th, Monday, November 20th, 1989. The 1980s equivalent of Monday Night Raw was primetime wrestling. And uh, yeah, we're going to talk about this. It was the go-home show for the 1989 Survivor Series. So we're also going to talk about the Survivor Series itself. That show has been covered in a lot of places by a lot of different podcasts. I don't think we'll go too, too in-depth on that, but it's still hilarious. We'll definitely talk about it. You might as well if we're doing the go-home show. Exactly. And it's only five matches, you know, it's five matches, and the format changed a little bit, but we're going to get into that, um, you know, but before we go there, since star ratings, they're done, overused, we're bored of them, we want to insert something fresh, some new ideas into podcasting, we are the young guns, so why not? Um, I think this week, for both shows, we are going to ditch star ratings and use Dino Bravo push-up contests. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the fitness contest, a longtime stable of 80s WWF wrestling. Exactly. Oh, man. So, 1989, it was a hell of a year. Um, do you know what song was number one going into Survivor Series week? 1989. Oh, I couldn't even venture to guess. Uh, tell me, hit me. All right, I'm going to play it right now for you. It is bad English when I see you smile. Nice. I don't think I could have gotten this song with a hundred guesses, but uh, there you go. So, because Survivor Series won on Thursday, the next day, the new ratings came out and there was a new number one song. And I'm going to play it for you right now. That's right. It's Millie Vanilli. Blame it on the rain. <laughs> Finally, a real artist. Exactly. On the charts. <laughs> hey, it's a more legit artist than half the artists nowadays. So go figure. <laughs> At least as legit. As legit. Exactly. All right. So that's that's those were your two number one songs around the time frame of these shows. Um, the number one movie heading into um, Survivor Series week was Harlem Nights. And much like Millie Vanilli taking over the number one spot in music, there was a new number one spot in movies. Any guess what what, what movie that would be? Um, hmm, 1989. November 1989, Thanksgiving weekend. Is it a little early for Ghost? I feel like Ghost might be a guess. I'm going to go with Ghost. Well, it's wrong. That was a good guess, but wrong. (laughs) Thank you. I I would have also accepted Batman as a guess, but that was Uh, August... It's this. Back to the Future 2. Nice. Yep. All right. Other things that was happening. I actually don't don't know if I've ever sat down and watched uh, 2 in my life. What? Yeah, really. Damn. 2's actually my favorite one. It's a good one. All right. So other things that was happening in 1989. So two weeks before the 1989 Survivor Series, the Berlin Wall was torn down. Go figure. Look at that. 1989. 
It was a pretty big year for that. Um, 20 days before the 1989 Survivor Series, the Minnesota Timberwolves made their debut as an official NBA team. On the same day as the 1989 Survivor Series, the Philadelphia Eagles defeated Dallas Cowboys in what was the Bounty Bowl after the Dallas Cowboys accused the Eagles coach Buddy Ryan of placing bounties on the Cowboys players. Wow. Bounty gate. An early bounty gate. Yep, I should look. Early... I'm going to look into that after this podcast, Boris. That's very interesting. Little tidbit you've given us there. Yeah, man. Also, 1989, and I remember this one. This one I do remember. It was the World Series earthquake in San Francisco um, between the Giants and the A's. So in the Bay Area, I remember watching on the TV, and then all of a sudden the TV just went dark because, well, an earthquake happened. Exxon Valdez disaster also happened in 1989. <laughs> what what a what a formidable year we had here. Um, so yeah, I guess November 1989. Just off the top of my head, the Stanley Cup champions would probably be would the Flames have just beaten Montreal, and then in '89 the Pistons would have just beaten the Lakers, I believe, for the NBA championship. Baby names. Favorite baby names of 1989, Michael for males, Ashley for females. I feel like that checks out. I've met lots of Michaels and Ashleys in my life. <laughs> yep. I definitely believe that one. Um, in Super Bowl th- uh, 23, rather, sorry, Super Bowl 23, the San Francisco 49ers defeated the Cincinnati Bengals 20-16, to 16, winning their third Super Bowl. Yep, because after that, Buffalo made it to the Super Bowl four times straight. Man, um, how'd that go for them, by the way? Um, I believe they lost all four. <laughs> hmm, I think I, I think you might be correct on that. Yes. Poor Jim Kelly. You know, I, as a <laughs> Dolphins fan, I feel bad for the Dolphins. Um, you know, with Marino, uh, because Marino really deserved one and he never got one. But you know, if it wasn't for the fact that the Bills are my most hated NFL team, I would feel <laughs> really bad for Jim Kelly. But I kind of don't. It's it's really weird that we're both wrestling fans and we're all also both Dolphins fans. That's kind of like random, but yes, I'm a big Dolphins fan. I 100% agree with your uh, assessment. But you can't you can't hate on Jim Kelly. It's hard to hate on Jim Kelly. And it's hard. Anyway, but it's yeah. easy as a Dolphins fan. All right, club yeah. sandwiches and sugar cookies were food trends. Um, perms and spandex were all the rage. All right, so now that we painted a picture of November 1989, let's get into the wicked world of professional wrestling and see what was happening. So this was a very transitional year in WWF at the time. The mega powers exploded and collided at WrestleMania a few months before this. Hulk Hogan began uh, to adv- his acting career, and Vince McMahon is looking to build a new star. Dare I say, an ultimate star. Oh, Boris, we're going to get into this later, but there was a better one in front of their face, and they almost had the guts to pull the trigger, but but it was not to be. But if we're we're going to get into a little bit of a fantasy book later on yep. in, in the program. There was also a, like a couple tidbits um, that we're going to bring up, which are kind of cool as we go through the matches. So in March 1989, Hulk Hogan captured the WWF Heavyweight Championship from Macho Man at WrestleMania 5. Hogan's summer was actually spent pretty much away from WWF. Um, you know, it's he's, he was starting to film a movie. And this movie was kind of also part of the focus of his match at Survivor Series. Um so yeah, so Hulk Hogan was spending it the same way that many pubescent teens were spending their summer with a short fling. 
that is in Zeus. Um, so <laughs> Zeus was the actor Tony Lister. Uh, he was also the antagonist in Hogan's on-screen starring debut film, No Holds Barred, which we're going to have to review at some point. So oh, with we, Hogan, yeah, we, we got to do we got to do the pay-per-view, No Holds Barred, to match the movie. Exactly. With Hogan mainly out of the ring, Vince McMahon was looking to keep playing, pushing the Ultimate Warrior to the moon. Warrior was also in the middle of a years-long feud with Bobby Heenan and his family, but mainly with Ravishing Rick Rude. Remember, the Ultimate Warrior was the next big thing once Hogan was to leave for Hollywood. Um, it's kind of fun seeing what the plans were and how they actually panned out. Uh, 100. Um, so yeah, you, you mentioned uh, WrestleMania briefly. Just to briefly touch on uh, SummerSlam. So the main event of SummerSlam was Hulk Hogan and Brutus Beefcake defeating Randy Savage and Zeus in a tag team match. That was largely terrible and unwatchable. And the Ultimate Warrior regained his Intercontinental title from Rick Rude, who had won it at WrestleMania 5. Uh, SummerSlam 1989 is a really good watchable show, by the way. If you're going to go back and watch one of these shows, 1989 was a good year for WWF pay-per-views. Yeah, it really was. I remember WrestleMania Five, so Survivor Series are really good, as we're going to talk about. SummerSlam was probably my favorite show of 1989. Um, it was, you know, a lot. A lot was actually going on, uh, but when you take a look at the ranks and and the roster, they didn't really have outside of Ted DiBiase and the Macho Man. They really didn't have a major heel going for them. Uh, that's a big problem. And I, uh, I'll just say it right now. Mr. Perfect was staring them in the face and he could have been, he could have been bigger than I think anyone really gives him credit for. He had, he had it all. He literally, he lacked nothing. He was even cutting amazing promos. He did a shooting star press on this show. I mind you, it was off a diving board into a pool, but question Kurt Henning, greatest high flyer of the eighties. Hot take. Oh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say certainly not. And that's stupid. But, uh, you know, you got to throw these things out sometimes. I, you know what? I'm not a fan of this guy's personal life, but you have to give credit to Dynamite Kid also. Yeah, well, no, absolutely. Yeah. If you actually really want to get into it, it's probably Dynamite Kid, maybe like a Jushin Liger or somebody who we're missing. I'm sure there's three or four luchadors who are probably like right, right at the top of the conversation as well. But yeah, I was, I was kind of just joking. But yeah, I'm not joking about the fact that Kurt Henning could have been a major star as a heel. It's tough. WWF never really pushed heels like that. But yeah, we'll get into it later. But yeah, as much as much as WrestleMania six in Toronto was great, I think it could have been better long term for the company had they gone a different way. Little I teaser agree. for you. Little teaser for you, Boris. That's right. We're gonna play the theme. This is the theme for primetime wrestling, circa 1989. All right. Primetime Wrestling was a national TV show that was produced by WWF and it aired on the USA Network from January 1st, 1985 to January 4th, 1993. Hmm, that, sound, that date sounds very familiar. Do you know why, Matt? Why is that, Boris? Because it was directly replaced by a sh little show known as Monday Night Raw. Back out! <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, Primetime Wrestling was also two hours, and they did have a lot of format changes over the last few years, but overall, the format stayed the same, where it was your, you know, you had a lot of mid to upper card feuds and matches from various house shows, so they would cut back and forth with a broadcast center, which we're going to talk about. Um, oftentimes, they brought in talent to fill in um, stories and whatnot. In this episode, we had Roddy Piper, and oh man, was he something else, but... You know, 
they changed things up. So you had different commentators depending on where they filmed the match. You had different hosts. So it was an ever-changing show, which is kind of cool. And, um, you know, you can't get away with doing something like this anymore, I think. I let's Let's get into it off the bat. I think Raw should steal... A lot of this, you can't you can't get away with showing so many terrible matches. You'd have to have a higher match quality on the show. But I think the presentation, I think there's a lot, there's a lot of, uh, there's like a, a modern feel to it. There's a lot that they could take. There's a lot of nuggets here, Boris. There's a lot to enjoy in these shows. That There's a lot that feels watchable and modern to this day. It was. Like, this show, it was not terrible to watch. I've gone on the network and I've seen some pretty bad shows. You know, uh, re-watching some of the older superstars. Really tough to watch. But this wasn't too bad. No, absolutely. I, it kept my attention pretty much throughout. I did take a, a slight break in the middle, but no, it, it was it was good. And, uh, yeah, the only, thing, the only thing is that pretty much every match was bad to somewhat, maybe slightly above average if you want to like twist yourself into a knot, but, but yeah, it's not about the wrestling in 1989. It's not about the in 1989 WWF. It is not about the in-ring product. Whereas in, in the NWA in 1989, it very much was. These guys are leaning into the story, leaning into the characters, leaning into the pop and the circumstance. Exactly. That's exactly what it was. You know, they were building to their pay-per-views. At this point, they had their four big established pay-per-views, so they used these shows to build angles to get stars over. So you saw a lot of enhancement talent on these shows. Um, You saw a lot of interviews and and behind-the-scenes stuff. And it was, you know, it was very different. It was very different from your NWA, from your Jimmy Crockett promotion shows. It was, you know, it's what made Vince McMahon the, the 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 I guess the mad scientist that we know him as, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. This was the start. He was, and you can tell, like, he had incredible talents. He was. There was a time when he. I don't know if he was ever the single best booker in wrestling. You can go through it. I'm sure there was a time. Well, in 2001, he was pretty much the only booker in wrestling. But yeah, I, he had talents that are undeniable, undisputable, indisputable, undeniable. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, so let's get into it. So, primetime wrestling. Your hosts are Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan in Studio Studio A, with Survivor Series posters all over the set. Rowdy Roddy Piper is in Studio B with more posters. He's playing with a hammer, and it was kind of creepy, like seeing him play with his hammer throughout the show. I wasn't really I, at first. I thought it was like a walking cane, but I'm like, no, it's a fucking hammer. So go figure. Uh, Piper had this weird smile throughout the entire show you know he was on something what that something was up for debate but there we go so with the show kicks off with roddy piper cutting cutting a quick promo against rick Root's team uh, so we're gonna go into the first match the first match was dusty Rhodes versus akeem with slick uh this match was actually filmed november 1st 1989 in wichita kansas the commentators for this match were vince mcmahon and gorilla monsoon which apparently this combination was a very rare combination uh so it was kind of cool that we were able to watch a show with this uh so yeah so the african dream and the american dream have a dance contest to start anyone who says that akeem wasn't a rib on dusty is out of their minds um Dusty clonks Akeem with elbows, uh, while the rest of the enforcers offer pre-taped words of support for Akeem. Uh, Slick hooks Dusty's leg from the outside and gives Akeem an opening uh, for a sneak attack. At this point, we cut to the crowd, and we see 
a very prop to be a prominent figure in Dusty's WWF career. Yeah, so there's a fan in the crowd, Boris. This uh, this this young woman in the in the crowd who's cheering cheering hard for Dusty Rhodes, decked out in Dusty Rhodes gear, conveniently placed directly in the front row. Yeah, convenient place, almost like that meme with uh, Hulk Hogan and that old lady at Nitro. It was very <laughs> akin to that, or the other way around, I guess I should say. Um, but yeah, it was uh, this this woman, Sapphire, as you know, everyone knows who Sapphire is. Um, she was front row, yelling at Slick the entire time, a huge back and forth. Uh, she was yelling so much at Slick that it distracted Akeem. Uh, Slick gets fed up with the woman at ringside, screaming at her to sit your fat butt down. And Akeem goes out to see what's going on with his manager. Dusty slips out, drops Akeem with a right hand, then slips back in, beating the 10 count and getting the win. Akeem and Slick storm off while Dusty Rhodes fans dances in their chair, gloats at them. Um, we see Dusty doing his thing. And uh, yeah, that, that was the first match. Winner by count out, Dusty Rhodes. So this was uh, terrible in the ring, a terrible match. I believe we saw the nerve hold in this match for an extended period of time by Akeem, where he just pinches the guy on the neck. Basically, it's it's the uh, the dreaded massage move. But uh, yeah, so I, I, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, Boris, but I think this was the debut of young Sapphire. She would appear in the crowd a couple times and eventually become Dusty Rhodes' manager in WWF. Yep. So I did research this because originally people stated that she debuted in on Saturday night's main event. I looked back, that didn't happen. People say she debuted at Survivor Series. Clearly, this is before Survivor Series. So I believe, and we're going to go with the revisionist history, that this is Sapphire's debut. First of two on the night. First of two debuts. On this primetime wrestling Survivor Series go-home show. But yeah, so this match was uh, pretty dire. I would say the angle, uh, both during the match and after, kind of saved it a little bit from uh, from being like an embarrassment to wrestling. But this wasn't great. We're going to go one Dino Bravo push-up out of five for a, for a 20% push-up percentage. Oh, uh, yep. All right, man. I got to ask you, because this is the last time we're going to see Akeem, even though he was being um, promoted... And pushed for Survivor Series. He actually didn't make it because two weeks. He was before, even on the poster. Sorry yeah, to interrupt, was, but he was even on the poster. I'll actually I'll send that to you. We can maybe throw it in with the show when we post it. But yeah, he was it, the poster's pretty funny to look back at because there's three or four guys who are on the poster who are not on the program. Yep. And we're gonna talk about all those. So Akeem missed the show because two weeks before the show, uh he got a major ankle injury. So yes, this aired a couple days before Survivor Series, but this was taped on November 1st. So he missed that show. Um, in, when I was a, a lot younger, I used to actually do the Akeem dance. I was a huge Akeem mark. <laughs> I could see it. The one-man gang, Akeem. He was the, Akeem's actually kind of his worst role. He was pretty good in the one man, as the one-man gang. And like, well, I, I shouldn't say his worst role because he was, he was hilarious as Akeem. But uh, Akeem never had... Uh, a good match or even something probably average. I can't tell you the Akeem's average match. Actually, Rockers versus Powers of Pain, WrestleMania 5 might be the best match Akeem was ever in. Probably. Probably. And, you know, as a kid, I didn't know better. I didn't know, you know, NWA. I didn't know Jimmy Crockett. So this is the Dusty Rhodes that I know. The Dusty Rhodes that I grew up with. 
I'm sure uh, the mouth uh, Lavransky just threw up in his den, the mouth Lavransky over that one. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that, that's hilarious. And I'm right there with you, Boris. That's how I was introduced to Dusty Rhodes was the polka dots, baby. Yep, exactly. Possibly you know, the I, worst I, Dusty impression ever. Yeah, well, I've seen, I've heard worse. Uh, but yeah, you know, this is my introduction to the guy. I saw what he did and I saw how great he was after the fact. But this is the Dusty Rhodes that I, that I grew up with. You know, I used to have his little IGN figure. That that figure, I, I used to love that figure. I used to have a hell of a collection. Like I wish I still same, had that. Same with with the with the bionic elbow, but pow! I yeah. had that one too. Yep. I, had a, I had a nice collection. I all, going up all the way to Ric Flair and the Berserker in '92. I still had I had a good collection. Yes, amazing. I did too. Those all right, all, oh, we're gonna move on. Now we're gonna hit a special report with Lord Alfred. Hayes. Uh, so in this nope. special report, Rick Martel steps onto the interview platform wearing the stud patrol look, basically an Austin, Texas high-end gigolo ensemble with a purse showing off how good he looks. Uh, Roddy Piper says Martel dresses in fashions from Frodericks of Hoofywood, which sounds like a BoJack Horseman gag. <laughs> so I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Lord Alfred Hayes pretending to be Robin Leach reading over Rick the Model Martel with his 80s perm in 1989 is modern in any way. But you know what feels modern about this show? The opening was unscripted. They just kind of went back and forth. They shot to a match and then they shot to a nicely produced backstage segment that was completely different from anything we've seen so far. So that's that's to me how this show is feeling modern it's changing up it's it's coming at you in different ways and there's entertaining stuff on it exactly but uh this was having said all of that this was as 80s as an 80s thing could be this was right out of 80s 90s hilarity this was this was retro hilarity and just remember strike force had just broken up a um, few months before, so this is you know Rick Martel finally getting his singles career up and up and started, and you know this was kind of cool, you know showcasing what this guy is all about outside of the ring, um, and you know he did a, he had a great performance at Survivor Series, um, and Rick Martel is one of those guys that he kind of just left the business. He's done the, with the business. He hasn't looked back. He's never come back. He's done, you know, and good on him. Good on him. It's it's sad in a way because he's tremendously underrated. As AWA champion, even, he had incredible matches. And he, Rick Martel is a Hall of Fame, incredible talent, great, great wrestler. And it's it's sad in a way that he's gone. But if he's found peace and happiness, then it's great. Fine. Exactly. Leave it alone. That's Good exactly for you, man. It. If he's happy, he's happy. I'm not going to uh, – I'm not going to stress. All right, we're going to move on. Match number two, Powers of Pain, Barbarian, and the Warlord. With Mr. Fuji versus Bill Woods and Chuck Casey, this match took place and was filmed on October 3rd, 1989 from Toledo, Ohio. Your commentators were Tony Schiavone and Lord Alfred Hayes. What a duo here. Tony Schiavone on the show. More than once, too. You're going to see Tony again. But, man, it was it was so – it was jarring for a second. It was like, oh, yeah, Tony was there in 1989, and he regretted leaving. But uh, it was it, – it, Lord Alfred Hayes also might might be the worst commentator WWF ever employed. He, he was is great. terrible. He was great in the back. He did some good stuff in the back. But, like, as a commentator, he was really, really not good. I 100% agree. He, he was kind of perfect as his like startled man with his with his uh, with his backstage interviewing role. Just yeah, he was like he was like a worse Gene Okerlund, but still good in the role. But yeah, a, a dire commentator. Just just terrible, terrible commentator. 
Exactly. So we're in the home stretch for the Powers of Pain as a unit. Um, you know, they were consistently pushed. They were made to look strong, but they never really got the fan support. And it's, it was kind of, it was what it was, you know. Um, they weren't really ever a threat to demolition. They always tried to push them as a threat to demolition, but they never were. Um, so yeah, so this match is your typical superstars versus jobbers, or as I used to call them as a kid, the cheap guys, because they never won. You know, the cheap guys, they would always lose we against called, the superstars. We call them wimpy guys and sucky guys and stuff like that for a bit. Wimpy boys. Before before the term jobber and jabroni took over, now, of course, they're all jabronis. This yep. is such a good word. Exactly. So during this match, Bobby Heenan was emphasizing so that nothing is wrong with the Heenan family. This is an ongoing theme, an ongoing storyline that's happening. Apparently, there was a lot of trouble brewing in the Heenan family, but everything is fine with the Heenan family. Um, so yeah, that, it was a pretty quick match. Uh, guess who won? Uh, I'm going to say Bill Woods and Chuck <laughs> Casey. No, it was clearly the powers of pain that destroyed. This was, uh, this was a below average squash match. We'll get into the finer nuances of the squash match later on, but I'm going to go one Dino Bravo push up strictly for barbarians flying top rope clothesline, which was a dirty finisher, underrated, underrated eighties finisher. All right, so we're going to go to the swimming pool, and we're going to see the guy who we were talking about earlier. So in the swimming pool, Mr. Perfect is showing off some perfect 10 dives as the genius recites a poem, daring Hulk to replicate what Perfect is doing on the diving board, except with an empty pool. Perfect does some perfect dives, decked out in his wrestling gear. I loved it. And I, 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 as a kid, I used to love these promos. Nothing hyped me up more than seeing the promos for, you know, newer wrestlers. So these Mr. Perfect ones, there was this one where he was in the pool. I know that there was one where he had like a one-on-one -on -one basketball game. He, he, uh, threw the uh, a football, caught it on the other end. Um, I'm pretty sure Bo Jackson did something with him at some point. Like, these promos were so fun to watch. And, you know, it's like you said, Mr. Perfect had it all. Dare I say he had the perfect package. And I don't mean that in that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said it. You put it out there. It's on the internet forever. Boris, Boris, cosigns, Kurt Hennig's package. Anyway, moving on. Uh, no, Mr. Perfect, Mr. Perfect was incredible. And the thing that I want to highlight is just Hulk Hogan just feasted on giants and just beat up these big, burly, scary idiots. And here was an intelligent athlete who was actually really good. He was sick. He wasn't the Miz. Even MJF, who I love and is an incredible promo, is kind of a shithead goofball, really, when you break it down. He's not, like, in kayfabe strong, really. Mr. Perfect could have, at this point, been a main event, strongly pushed heel who only basically would lose to Hulk Hogan or Ultimate Warrior. I, and I, I'm from Toronto, I'm Canadian, Ultimate Warrior versus Hulk Hogan was my favorite match growing up as a kid. In retrospect, I, I don't even say I wish, but I wonder what would have happened if Mr. Perfect goes over Hulk Hogan in the main event of WrestleMania 6, and you build not only to Perfect, eventually like beating guys and then ultimate warrior gets his push for being the one who beats perfect but you also build to the perfect uh hogan rematch which could happen and you save warrior hogan for later down the road which could be even bigger once warrior's already been established as a main event star i don't know maybe i'm talking myself into no, a circle no, no, here no, 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 it's no, no, probably no. better that they did hogan warrior 
We're going to play with this. Let's let's keep going with this before we move on. I love this scenario because I'm going to one-up you on this scenario. Because as you were talking, I was thinking, if this were to happen, Bret Hart wouldn't have happened. You know? I don't mm. think they I don't think they would have given Bret Hart the chance to become the star that he did. But there's one caveat that we did not talk about, and that's the Macho Man. And it's something that I was going to bring up later on in the show. And that was the fact that, you know, after... Um, their match at Survivor Series, Macho Man takes Bret Hart to Vince McMahon's office and essentially says, I want to work with this guy. And McMahon says, it'll happen soon. Who knows what would have happened? So in your scenario, Mr. Perfect and Hulk Hogan are squaring off together with Ultimate Warrior. On the other side, you have Bret Hart and Macho Man squaring off together. And then what do you get? Two super new stars in Mr. Perfect and Bret Hart. For WrestleMania, you know, seven or eight at that point. Oh my God, Mister Perfect! Oh man, oh you, Randy Savage putting over Bret Hart in Canada WrestleMania six. Hook it to my veins. Hook this fantasy book to my veins, Boris. That's it. We're going back in time. We're taking over the books. This is gonna happen. <laughs> no, but yeah, but the the point is, this promo was so good, and these promos were so good that Mister Perfect literally could have been the heel WWF champion for at least a year. The, these these were good enough to draw in casual fans. They had celebrities. They had and and, and the celebrities weren't the biggest star. The genius wasn't the biggest star. The biggest star was Mister Fucking Perfect because yeah. he was perfect, Boris. He, he was, was perfect. You see, he was perfect. He was he was he was perfect. There's nothing else to say. And you know, I bet you a lot of listeners are like you guys are insane. We were kids when we watched this. We're just running off of nostalgia as we do this fantasy booking. All right, we're going to move on. I'll fight anybody. I'll fist fight anybody. Mr. Perfect could have been WWF champ for at least a solid year. Anyway, moving on. Man, you with your hot takes. First, Leon Ruff. Now this. Oh, man. (laughs) All right, we're going to move on because next is the test of strength with the ultimate warrior and Dino Bravo. So your commentators for this were Vince McMahon and gorilla monsoon. And this was filmed November 1st, 1989 in Wichita, Wichita, Kansas. Um, so this was another debut. All right. So Dino Bravo's in the ring with Jimmy Hart and Gene Okerlin. Um, you know, they're looking at the crowd to see who is going to sit on Dino Bravo's back as he does push-ups. Then in the middle of the crowd, and you know what? You know what was great about this? The fact that this guy was just sitting, and it was the crowd that pointed him out. It was so good. It was so good. And he was obviously kind of like, you know what I mean? I wonder how long he was watching the show. I wonder if he if he saw Akeem versus Dusty Rhodes, and he stuck around for the openers, and and he was there for the entire time. That would have been good. But yeah, this was this as plant angles go, and we just saw Sapphire being a plant. They they went a little plant heavy in '89, but this was this is possibly one of the all time great plants in wrestling right yep. here. So a bunch of fans in the crowd begin frantically pointing to one particular big guy sitting in the upper level seat, perfectly in line with the camera. So Jimmy picks him, and the guy stands up to reveal how big he is. Jimmy Hart has a minor freakout when he realizes who he's picked. So this big fan gets in the ring, introduces himself as John from West Virginia. Gene asks how much he weighs, and John modestly says he weighs 460 pounds, and the crowd pops huge. Jimmy Hart is scared shitless. Dino's a little concerned. And who is this John from Virginia? None other than John Tenta, the Canadian earthquake, earthquake. 
the earthquake and and how good was it that he was the canadian earthquake why did they remove the canadian i guess uh i guess people in america don't really care about us that much but hey <laughs> yeah. exactly it's it's like at that time you had they go through these weird stages in WWE when it comes to wrestlers from Canada. Remember in like the mid 2000s when all the Canadians were from Florida, Edge, Jericho, etc. Yeah, but you could if you were a heel, you could still be from Canada. I believe Christian was still from Toronto. Yeah, at that time <laughs> he was. All right, so Dino does the push-ups, and then at this point, John was just a fan. He sits on his back. Dino does these push-ups easily, and then out comes the Ultimate Warrior. Um, and John shyly cowering in the corner from the warrior. Warrior gets in on all fours, does some push-ups, um, and then this is when John from West Virginia abruptly thrusts his weight down and causes Warrior to collapse. John hits the ropes and splashes the warrior a few times. Um, the warrior is splattered across the mat. Dino stomps all over him and chokes him out. John strolls off with Dino and Jim and Jimmy to the locker room. It was a setup. It was a setup. <laughs> the ultimate warrior selling in this segment was out of this world. He just, he was uh, he flailing like an absolute madman until he flailed himself to the ropes and then shook himself back to full warrior status and then ran off I like only that. he could. That was honestly the best because he's like, he's dying. It's like Papa Shango put on a hex on him and he was flailing. <laughs> Next thing you know, he just slowly gets up and, and he warriors out and he just runs out and segment is over. He flailed his way to the ropes, his greatest source of power. <laughs> All right, so then we're back in Studio A where Bobby Heenan promises that Andre the Giant and Haku are going to bring the tag team titles to the Heenan family. Um, just remember, at this point, there was a lot of uh, interesting stuff going on with Arn Anderson and Tolly Blanchard. We're going to get into that during the Survivor Series show. Um, so Gorilla interrupts him to ask if he already forgot about the Brain Busters. Um, because you know he would logically, they would logically be the tag team to bring the belts. But also remember that at this point there was a lot of feuds going on, and one of the major feuds was the Rockers and the Brainbusters. So Heaton was uh, at this point was a little iffy on the Brainbusters. So there are issues in the Heenan family. And the Rockers have been getting some wins over these these uh, these old crusty Brainbusters. <laughs> oh man. The fact that they're... Oh, um, anyways. All right. Next match. Colossal Connection with Bobby Heenan and versus Brian Johnson and Mike Howell. So this match was filmed on November 1st, 1989 from Wichita, Kansas. And your commentators are none other than Tony Schiavone and Lord Alfred Hayes. Oh, we should have looked if Earthquake was in the crowd. I didn't notice. I know, I was just thinking that as we were, you and I were having this conversation, all right, so Haku starts as usual, um, and, and yeah, and then they have a, the Brain Busters show up on the picture-in-picture, picture. Um, they warn the Ultimate Warrior about what's coming to him on Thanksgiving night, his come-uppance, Haku's chop and drop-cucking both opponents, um, it's your typical superstars versus cheap guy match. Um, Paul Driver on Johnson, Haku picks him up with a two, demands a tag, Howell enthusiastically throws punches, but Haku gadges him, and Andre tags in, the crowd's reaction for Andre was incredible, but again, Andre takes over, um, Andre headbutts, Howell holds him in place for a kick from Haku, Andre drops one big elbow on Howell for the three count, um, one, two, three, your winners, Colossal Connection. 
So the finer points of the squash match. So I love the fact that Haku beat the shit out of one wimpy and then threw him into the corner, demanded the other wimpy come in and then beat the shit out of that wimpy as well. Uh, Andre the Giant, both sad in this match and literally, and I say this, I don't say this softly, truly amazing to watch. Both sad and like breathtaking because he got such a reaction and was by far the biggest star on this show to the point to this point already, including the Ultimate Warrior. And all he did was tag in and drop an elbow that he couldn't even he couldn't even take the bump himself. He had to hold on to the rope to drop the elbow. Man. But this, despite that, I loved Haku kicking the shit out of these jobbers. I love the sweet chin musics by Haku. We're going slightly above average on this one, Boris. We're going three Dino Bravo push-ups out of five. Sixty percent push-up percentage. I like it. I like it. I'll accept it. Um, yeah, you know, knowing the backstory now, knowing the, the what was happening, what was going on in Andre's life, it's crazy to think, and you can't even imagine the pain that he was in. Like, the fact that he was feeling pain for so many years, and at this point, he could barely move, to the point that that is why they teamed them up with Haku. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it's actually so remarkable to see he, he he's, la- he's laboring, and you can see that he can't move anymore, but he won't show you it. He won't show you it on his face. He's still the giant. He still has the charisma. He still has the presence. Just just the way he looked into the camera after he was getting the pin, it was just like, oh my God, this guy is the best. The giant is the best. And he can't move. Yeah. I can't, can't really I, you, you can't explain it. But Yeah. And we're going to see more of this in Survivor Series. Um, so yeah. So up next, it's the event center. And it is my, f- well, well, we'll talk, you know, I'm just going to say it right now. My promo of the night, the ultimate warriors, the anvil. Oh my God. <laughs> Dude, this was hilarious on so many levels. <laughs> like so much was happening. <laughs> ultimate warrior was running around with some tape, taping up anvil and the rockers. It was hilarious. So anvil starts the promo. He cuts most of the promo um, while warrior psychotically ties his three partners together with wrist tape. He wraps a significant amount of his tape around Shawn Michaels neck and his hair, (laughs) which is rather brutal coming from the guy on the team with the least cause for wanting to kill him. It was just so funny. Like you could tell Shawn Michaels was so angry. He was like getting choked in the middle of this promo. Like, what is this fucking idiot doing? Like, what are you doing, Ultimate Warrior? You crazy man. This was this was I stop what was like you have to watch this promo today. If you have the WWE network, stop what you're doing right now. Make sure you click play again, but go watch this promo. This was batshit. I would not call it my favorite thing because Mr. Perfect was on the show, but this this was definitely a highly memorable promo i loved it man sean michaels looks so pissed and that's why i loved it It he looks so uncomfortable and to think this is the best take they had (laughs) it seemed like it seemed like they did a couple different things Uh, we saw this foursome speak uh on survivor series and yeah it seems like they they did a couple things but this was probably the best take of the the tape uh version oh my god this was this was insanity yeah all right, we're going to get go into our next match, which is Coco Beware versus The Genius. This was filmed September 30th, 1989, from the world-famous MSG Madison Square Garden. Your commentators for this match were Tony Schiavone and Hillbilly Jim. <laughs> what a duo. <laughs> two, two Southern boys just talking it up on the WWF wrestling. 
Yep, two Southern boys commentating, talking on WWE TV or WWF TV while in New York. <laughs> Colin Coco Beware versus The Genius. Yep. All right. So I <laughs> this match made me laugh. So Genius offers a handshake. Coco's too smart for that. Genius stalls, and he keeps stalling, and he starts prancing around the ring. And this is why I love old-school wrestling, and I wish that, you know, fans just would go to shows to have fun because the crowd was eating every prance up from the genius it was great i loved it you know every time coco would try to do something genius would stop he would prance a little bit the crowd would go nuts at one point the genius goes outside and the crowd is heckling him yelling at him telling him to get it back in the ring and the crowd's just eating this up nowadays people would tell this guy to fuck off and you know get the hell out of here Oh, 100%. The genius was 15, 20 years before his time. If he came around now, he'd be a he'd be a humongous star. He'd be a way above the card, at least, than, than jobber status. The genius is the best of Damian Sandow multiplied with the best Peter Avalon, multiplied with, like, a great athlete and a great promo, multiplied with, like, the smoothness of, like, a Nakamura or, like, somebody who just does it effortlessly. Like, he's just butter in there. He's Randy Savage's brother. Of course he's going to be butter in there. Now, I was really fixing to like this match a lot, and then it went seven hours. Yeah, that's one thing. This match actually spanned through a commercial, which in this era was very rare. Um, Actually, it wasn't too rare. It wasn't too rare, but the fact that these two guys went through a commercial, oh, man, it was crazy. All right, so we get back from commercial. Genius applies an arm bar um, to the point um, where he yells out, I am the genius, and he gets the arm bar. Coco headbutts out. He's still, you know, Coco's still working on the arm. His arm's still hurt. Genius keeps committing to that. Um, Genius slams Coco to the mat and goes for the honor roll, but Coco just barely gets out of the way, and Coco makes his comeback. But he misses a corner charge, and Genius rolls him up with a handful of tights for insurance for the one, two, three. You uh, you stuffed like what felt like thirty minutes, but was probably only eleven or twelve into a good little package. There, this was this was fixing to be a good above average match that just went too long and ruined itself. So I said it. I think it bumped it down to pretty much every eighties to nineties WWF match you've ever seen. I would say it was two and a half. Dino Bravo push-ups for a 50% Dino Bravo push-up percentage. Yep. All right, we're going to move on. Gorilla and Piper are back in are back and forth in Studio A and B. Um, Piper insinuates that Ted WS, he built his team by offering cash incentives and that his teammates are holding him up for extra money before they go to Survivor Series. Um, there's, I, I just love the kayfabe here. It's, it's, I just love it. Um yeah, it's it's back and forth between them. Uh... It's so it's so it's so entertaining because it's unscripted. It's so naturally feeling, and it's not always clean. But sometimes they get like some really nice jokes off, and it's it's fun. It it it's definitely not boring. Yep. It certainly doesn't feel scripted and boring. So as there's a little bit of dissension, um, essentially Ted DiBiase offers his team more money. And that that gets everyone's attention. So a bonus is on the table um, for anyone who sends another team or someone from the other team to the hospital. And then everybody is on board again. Uh, the million dollar team is here to pledge that Hulk Hogan will be the biggest turkey of all. <laughs> oh, the 80s. Don't you just love it when it was simple, Boris? It yep. was just so nice and easy. 
Oh, it, this, that's what I mean, man. All right, so we're going to jump to a um, another Survivor Series report. So we're one more hard sell from Mean Gene Okerlund. We hear from the Ultimate Warriors, and this time Warrior Shtick is ripping the Rocker's clothes off. It's like he doesn't even give a damn what he does or doesn't. Uh, just it's just like it's it's this is me. I'm the Ultimate Warrior. It seems like he was. Maybe it's just me, and maybe just because Shawn Michaels is great, and I wanted to see what he had to say because he went on to be such a humongous star. But it seemed like Warrior was fucking with Shawn Michaels extra, like more than the other guys. Like Michaels couldn't even get a word in edgewise because the Warrior would just come like slap him in the face or like rip his shirt off or choke him to death with tape or something. At one point, he did slap him. Like I feel like this was also a rib because Shawn Michaels was the kid. You know, he was the youngest guy. He was yeah. the greenest. I feel like he was just being picked on by all these guys. So it's kind of funny. Um, then we get a rebuttal promo from the Heenan family. Um, and again, this might be one of the last promos that the Brain Busters cut in WWF. I would. There's a Saturday night's main event in I think November where they do have an awesome match with the Rockers. I would have to check the date on that, but this might be his last appearance or one of Tully Blanchard's. One hundred percent. This this is before that match. This was Tully's last appearance because Tully doesn't make it to Survivor Series, which we'll talk about in a little bit. All right. So then we jump to a Macho King promo, and he calls Hacksaw Jim Duggan a disaster area in the school of truth charisma overcomes it completely hacksaw jim duggan responds that he'll win with the help of bret hart and his fancy dan moves i love randy savage so much with all of my heart i love him my cousin my cousin painted me a picture of the old the colorful randy savage poster i have i have a hand-painted version of that hanging above my tv set i I will treasure it for the rest of my life i love the macho man it's funny because going back to like, you know, how for me, Dusty Rhodes was the guy in Polka Dots. Um, Akeem was the African dream. Um, you know, it's it's Macho Man was the Macho King. When he went back to being known as the Macho Man, that was really weird for me. Yeah, I definitely. He was. Yeah, I agree because we both came in at the same time. I I also had the the was a Hasbro action figure with the with the purple trunks, the Macho yep. King with his little scepter and crown. Oh man, the 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 superior, the best figure, the best Hasbro figure was that figure. I used to redo the WrestleMania Seven quote unquote retirement match between Macho Man and Ultimate Warrior, and I used to always change the ending with my toys where Macho Man would actually go over. <laughs> a man after my own heart. Uh, <laughs> that's amazing. All right. Oh, it's, then, it's it's funny all the things he used to do as a kid. I used to when I was I must have been like what three or four. I used to stand in the sprinkler in my underpants with my fake WWF title, pretending I was the warrior at WrestleMania six with the amazing. pyro. The pyro. This was the sprinkler. You see. <laughs> I love it. All right. Then we're gonna get into one of my other favorite acts in the from the 80s and that's ravishing rick rude with bobby heenan versus mark regan this match also from wichita kansas filmed on november 1st 1989 your commentators were tony shivani and lord Alfred hayes yeah unfortunately short this match it was pretty much like two spots bang bang and then a, a really nice quick little finish but i wish i wish there was more to it i could watch ravishing rick rude toss jobbers around for hours it was a quick match. Couple, um, the jobber got like one move in, then Rick Rude took over. Rick Rude run one. Then he did his shtick after the match, where he was gonna give one lucky fan the night of their life. And then right before the fan gets in the ring, right before the kiss happens, Rick Rude, I guess, 
overcome with reality and says, no way in hell. Yeah. Boo, heel move. Boo, Rick Rude. Yeah. I believe he called the woman a sweat hog. And I hope she was a plant because that's pretty ruthless if not. But, uh, you know, it was the 80s. I can see that going either way. But uh, one thing one thing I do want to say about the finish of this match, I thought it was really good, was uh, Mark Regan, the, the jobber. They did a spot where Rude whips him to the rope and you think he, he ducks down. It's going to be a backdrop. But Regan actually pulls off the leapfrog. But before Regan can do anything, Rick Rude just immediately stands up, grabs him and hits the hits the Rude Awakening right away. It was like very quick. You almost missed it. It was it was like the proto version of the awesome uh, Christian Randy Orton RKO. They did a spot like that, like back in 2005 before their memorable feud. But anyway, it was just a really cool little quick finish. Ravishing Rick Rude snapped off that that. Uh, neck breaker better than anybody ever in the history of wrestling so I, I definitely like that exactly and I you know it, that brings a great point like I do want to know if she was a plant or not she looked like she wasn't one but who knows yeah she yeah because she didn't like sell it but she looked upset you know what I mean I feel like if she was a plant she would have sold it yeah she looked like embarrassed, you know? Yeah, fun. yeah. That I, I feel like that wasn't a plan. It was kind of uncool. But yeah, this was, uh, despite the cool finish, it didn't go very long. It wasn't a lot to it. This is pretty much every WWF squash match you've ever seen. I went two and a half uh, Dino Bravo push-ups for a 50% push-up percentage on this one as well. All right. Then we're going to move to another promo. Also filmed November 1st, 1989 from Wichita, Kansas with your commentators being Vince McMahon and Jesse the Body Ventura. Oh, the best. The absolute best. And I love Bobby Heenan, and Bobby Heenan was great at what he did, and a great manager, and probably an overall better talent. Certainly, I would say, certainly a better wrestler. You hear that music? Because it's none other than Brother Love. That's right. Brother Love promos. I used to love these as a kid. He was the guy with the pink face and the white suit. Undertaker's <laughs> original manager. I loved it. Sorry, just to close out my point there. Uh, Jesse Ventura, greatest heel announcer ever to live. Ever to do it. Ever, ever, ever. Anyway, Brother Love, still kicking in WWE. Still yep. employed. Still backstage. Giving us the wonderful stories that we see each and every week on Raw and SmackDown. <laughs> Wonderful indeed. He loves us, Boris. He does. Yep, he does love you. All right, man. Enough of this nostalgia kick. All right. So it, uh, this promo is the Hulkamaniacs. They're here, um, much to Brother Love's disdain. Hulk says that they aren't fighting for money. They're fighting for the love of the Hulkamaniacs, brother. Jake teases saying the word ass to Hulk. But Hulk's visible, delight, and... And he made this weird face before Demolition steps in and promises to kick some stinking teeth in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just loved it. It was just a quick little promo with everyone from the Hulkamaniacs, which was Hulk Hogan, Jake the Snake, and Demolition saying something quick. Something about seeing Hulk Hogan on the Brother Love show just has this, it lends to this feeling of impending doom. Like, oh my God, someone's <laughs> going to come and break this man's ribs. I can feel it. Get out of there, Hulk. Run. Run yeah. for your life. <laughs> I love it. Anything else to say before we move on? Uh, no, pretty much. Just, I, I'm just shocked and uh, amazed and quite frankly appalled that uh, Brother Love is still employed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know why that broke me. <laughs> Sorry about that, buddy. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. 
So we're back to Studio A, and Bobby Heenan is notified that he has a phone call. Bobby refuses to answer the phone. Roddy suspects it's Richard Dawson calling because of Heenan's brewing family feud. I fucking love that line. Oh, man. No, yeah, that's what I mean. Like Some of these lines are they're seeping into the show. The unscripted format is far better for uh, for professional wrestling. It's the superior format. You can't yep. – you can't – you're not SNL. You're never going to be Lorne Michaels, Vince. You're not. You're just not. And you know what the funny part about that Roddy line is the fact that Ray Combs was actually hosting Family Feud and has been for almost two years at this point. I actually looked that up. <laughs> oh, wow. That is funny. Oh. Poor, poor uh, Ray. Yep. All right. So we're going to move on to the main event of the evening, which was actually a feud blow-off, which is kind of weird to see on primetime wrestling, especially before pay-per-view. And that was Superfly Jimmy Snuka versus the Honky Tonk Man with Jimmy Hart. This match was filmed September 30th, 1989 from Madison Square Garden with your commentators, the incredible, in, like, in undestructible duel of Hillbilly Jim and Tony Schiavone. Great commentary duo or the greatest is my question. <laughs> oh, man. It's crazy, uh, how, it's crazy how Tony Schiavone sounds exactly the same. He, yeah, yeah, it's funny because, yeah, you hear Jim Ross even uh, on old NWA shows, even going back to Mid-South and, like, his voice is really high and then it's a little lower and now he's, like, the Jim Ross we know and love. But, yeah, Tony Schiavone has basically sounded the same since Starcade 1985. Like, he, he changes a little bit, but in, in by this point, he's Tony Schiavone. He's full-fledged Schiavone. Yep, except not. Or at least he's hiding his dirty old man tendencies here. <laughs> and thank God for that. Alright, so Honky tries to attack uh, as Snuka leaps into the ring, but Snuka's ready with kicks and chops. Snuka boogies and headbutts Honky Tonk Man to the mat, then calmly removes his entrance outfit and then goes back to finishing kicking Honky's ass. Um, then we get the federally mandated atomic drop on the Honky Tonk Man and a pair of chops from the second rope as Snuka continues making Honky's life hell. Um, a lot of back and forth, a lot of the heel kind of getting the upper hand, then the face, you know, re outsmarting the heel at this point. Um, so we see a shake, rattle, and roll attempt, and it's countered by a backdrop. Snuka is on the comeback trail. Jimmy Hurt heads up to the apron, and since he's been building up bad karma through the entire match, you know exactly how this ends. Snuka gets distracted. Honky tries to, to, to attack. He collides with his manager. Snuka heads to the top and comes crashing down for the three count. And that was that. One, two, three. Not much of a classic but it was a kind of a good match to end the mid-card feud yeah i mean it was 1989 snooker versus the honky tonk man like it you know what you're getting i i, I watched this match and i couldn't i couldn't decide if i was going to give it one dino bravo push-up or two dino bravo push-ups so i settled in the middle for one and a half dino bravo push-ups the uh for 30 percent that is uh dino bravo percentage uh the only the only thing i could really remember right now about this match was that uh snooker was wearing like silver trunks i've never seen him wear this color before yeah you're right yep he it must have been like laundry day house show day or something <laughs> and definitely the house show gear for jimmy snooker in 89 here but yeah it was it was it was fine it was it was all right like it wasn't like it wasn't the worst thing. You know, it wasn't the worst effort of all time, but uh, it was bad. It was bad. <laughs> fine fine was generous. It was not fine. It was bad. But it was not the worst effort of all time. Yeah, you're right. 100% right. Um, 
So that's the end of the show. Are we going to do our best promo, I'll, best match of the night? I'll do promo and match of the night for sure. So my promo personally, I'll, I, and I know you made your case and you made a strong case, but I'm going with Mr. Perfect off the diving board. I just think that these Mr. Perfect segments were all classics, all classics, especially in context when you see some of the abject fucking craziness going on in the show. <laughs> Mr. Perfect segments were just, just clear just to the point you knew what you were getting. They were cool. There were celebrities on them, athletes, all this shit. Perfect segment. Perfect segment. Well done. You know what mine is? It's none other than the ultimate warrior and the ultimate team. The, the first one. When uh, Shawn yeah. Michaels is getting choked out by <laughs> ultimate warriors tape. Uh, if fans, if you're going to go back and watch the show, listeners, thank, first of all, thank you so much for listeners, for, for listeners at all, for anyone who's listening to this, thank you for supporting the podcast. But if you are going to go back, uh, please tell us if you think that a Shawn Michaels almost died and B that if the ultimate warrior was kind of fucking with Shawn Michaels a little more than, than the rest of the guys, and he was kind of not letting him get a word in edgewise, but that was definitely entertaining as heck. Yep. All right. What are, what is your match of the night? So it's, it's really hard to say, but the only thing that I would like die on a hill of, I would say, no, that was an above average match was Colossal Connection versus Brian Johnson and Mike Howell. Colossal Connection squashes are above the average rate of squash match. Perhaps I'm grading on a curve, but on the squash match scale, it was three stars. Also, try to say squash match scale three times fast. Squash match scale. Oh, that, that is a hard one. That's, that's a tough one. But anyway, so I'm going to say my match of the night was Colossal Connection versus Brian Johnson and Mike Howell. That's a good one. I'm going to agree with you. Overall, that was probably the best match of the night. When you take a look at like stories, putting people over, the cheap guys, and all this fun stuff, I would agree with you. So that was Primetime Wrestling from November 1989. Are you ready for the Survivor Series? Welcome, everyone, to a sold-out... Was it in Richmond? Uh, nope, nope, Richmond Coliseum? Nope, Rosemont Horizon. Ah! In Rosemont, Illinois! <laughs> All right. So, the third annual Survivor Series saw change in format. In the previous two years, the traditional Sur Survivor Series tag team elimination matches have gone from five-on-five five to four-on-four. Four. And they also added goofy names for each of the teams and i love this all right before we start the show we're gonna go off with some fun facts about the survivor series 40 wrestlers total participated in the show 21 of which are in the hall of fame oh wow nice. seven of the 10 captains have passed away oh yeah 35 percent of everyone on the show passed away and i hate like I, I I was debating on putting that stat or not, but it just goes to show you kind of like, you know, the era of the 80s and, and what these guys went through, right? Um, Absolutely. It's dark and it's not like we're laughing about it, you know? I feel like that's worth noting, man. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. So from that stark point to this one, Shane was a 19-year-old referee at the show. Um, he was actually known as Shane Stevens, and he was used as the outside referee um, to corral the wrestlers to the back after they were eliminated. Nice, nice. Uh, do you know how old Stephanie was at this point, just out of curiosity? No. <laughs> I'm, you? Nice. I'm not, nope, not touching this one. Alright, moving on. Uh, another fun fact, this was only the second time in 12 pay-per-views that Hulk Hogan didn't close the show. Oh, wow. 
The other time was 1985's Wrestling Classic, which saw Macho Man and Junkyard, Junkyard Dog main event. A, a tournament format pay-per-view, the Wrestling Classic was. Yep. So this was on Thanksgiving Day, November 23rd, 1989. I was about to turn four years old the next day. This, as we stated earlier, was from Rosemont Horizon in Chicago, Illinois. one of the more classically um, popular arenas. I was listening to Tom Pritchard's podcast about this show, and he was saying the reason why they loved going to Chicago was, well, the fans. The fans were always hot, and that's something that I noticed right away. Um, you know, a lot of times in the 80s, 90s, the Fed, the crowds were hot to begin with, but this one, like... Right from the get-go, it was loud as all hell. Um, they wouldn't sit down. It was just loud throughout the entire match. I think the biggest pop of the night came when Macho Man and Bret Hart were face-to-face about to hook up. Um, so it was kind of like, so the crowd just made this show. Um, the the acoustics also apparently at the Rosemont Horizon were great for wrestling. The sight lines, because the roof was a little shorter, it looked great on TV. So for all of these reasons, they really liked going to this location. That makes a lot of sense. The crowd was great. Fired up for the entire show. Never really had a, a too much of a down moment. And uh, yeah, no, I, I could, uh, that makes a lot of sense. We've seen some classic Chicago crowds throughout the years. So that definitely makes a lot of sense. It's sound logic. Yep. All right. So the commentators for the evening were Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse Ventura. Um, and to this point, they had worked the majority of the pay-per-views. Um, but in 1989 SummerSlam, a young Tony Schiavone filled in for Monsoon and did an excellent job working alongside Jesse Ventura. Um, Schiavone was under the impression that he was going to be calling the Survivor Series, but then he got a rude awakening, pun intended. Um wow. And, uh, yeah, in 2017, Shivani recalled uh, that while he was speaking to longtime producer um, Nelson Swaglar, uh, he casually mentioned Monsoon was going to be doing the actual commentary that night. Uh, and this was actually news to Tony that day in the building. Bruce Pritchard also said that um, it was uh, Shivani's surprise that he wasn't going to call that night so when Shivani asked Vince about it he says that Vince said we haven't decided yet even though he was already told that he's not calling the show uh, so this is Vince being Vince at this point Shivani said that he figured that his play-by-play days in WWE were running out he did call the 1990 Royal Rumble but he did exit right after Wrestlemania 6 it's so fun and interesting to hear Tony on these shows. And yeah, I believe it's only those two, right? That he called the, the uh, SummerSlam 89 and Royal Rumble 1990 are the only two WWF pay-per-views to feature Tony Schiavone. Yep, yep. All right. So, Survivor Series. We, you, know, you know we have to play this, right? We have to play this. Oh, hook it. Hook it up. Please do. It's Thanksgiving night, and this is the happiest time of year for all the maniacs, brother. You know, me and all my little hulksters, we got a lot of things to be thankful for. Number one, we're thankful for being happy and very healthy. We're thankful for having time to share with our loved ones. We're also thankful that Hulkamania is still the strongest force in the universe. And after the turkey's done, after the blessings are all done, I can tell you what the hulksters mostly happy about. It's Survivor Series time, and I'm thankful for my team. Hulkamaniacs. Dude, I love that. He could not 
get another word in without taking a breath. That was like timed perfectly for him. <laughs> uh, you don't have that whole thing, do you, by chance? I guess oh, it went like five oh, minutes. Oh, buddy. I'm thankful because <laughs> I'm rich and you're not. <laughs> I'm thankful for having Damien and the DDT. You know what we're thankful for? We don't have to fight each other. Oh, that was just classic demolition right there. I loved it. Axe and smash before crush. Oh, pre-crush days, yes. All right. We don't have to fight each other. Oh, yeah. I am thankful that I am the only man worthy of being the macho king. Oh, yeah. Mm, yeah. I'm thankful for the privilege of living right here in the good old U.S. of A. Tough guy. I'm thankful I've got the big earthquake on my side. <laughs> what a big earthquake. Oh, <laughs> I'm thankful I got the big earthquake. Oh, man. Oh, Dino. It. All right. We're going to keep playing it. Thankful for, for Thanksgiving for my polka dot. I'm thankful <laughs> for the justice I serve. I'm thankful for wrestling, cutting, and strutting. I'm thankful for my good looks. I'm thankful for having the most ravishing body in the WWF. All right. This one's my favorite one coming up. This is like, I laugh so hard hearing this all the time. I'm thankful because I ain't Ricky Rude. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Piper. Oh, I just love that. I just love that. It's just like literally right after Rick Rude, one-liner, did the mock kiss, classic Piper. All right, we're going to keep going. I am thankful for being the world's smartest man. I'm thankful for being absolutely perfect. Yeah, we're thankful for having Sonny stuffing an out turkey tonight. I'm thankful for spending Thanksgiving with all the members of the Heenan family. Thanks to give every day, but especially this day, as the Warriors <laughs> give me the intention to deliver the power at Survivor Series, it is going to be a war! I oh, love good that. Habits. I love that. And then we uh, jump into the actual intro music. Uh, yeah, before we go on, I just want to read. Okay, so in order, the voices that we heard there were Hulk Hogan, Ted DiBiase, Jake Roberts, Axe and then Smash, Macho Man, Sensational Sherry briefly, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Dino Bravo, and the big earthquake, uh, Dusty Rhodes, Big Boss Man, Brutus Beefcake, Rick Martel, Rick Rude, Roddy Piper, The Genius, and Mr. Puff Perfect, Butch, but not Luke, Bobby yeah. Heenan, and The Ultimate Warrior. So they squeezed like 20 promos in there. I loved it. All in two minutes and 20, 13 seconds. I love it. This every we we romanticize like the Royal Rumble promos and the Survivor Series promos. This is the single best example of it ever. It's the single best time that they ever did this gimmick in wrestling. They've been trying to clear this bar since, and no one ever has. Yeah, and I don't think it's ever going to be done. No company will be able to just um, you know just do it because even I don't know. It's just no one. I, I we can debate this for days on days why but there was just something special about this era there was just something special about all of these guys maybe we were all collectively naive back then but you know it was just you can't you and you can you know, and you won't be able to recreate it you know what a major factor is and i don't know how you put this toothpaste back in the tube but a major factor 
is that on primetime wrestling, on superstars, on all these shows, we didn't see big matches. The biggest matches we saw were Coco Beware versus The Genius. And we were waiting months and months to see these guys fight. And then when we got four teams of all of the stars fighting each other, that was crazy. That was mind-blowing. Like, when you didn't see these guys interact at all, and now they're all going to fucking fight each other, that's why the Royal Rumble was so cool, too. Exactly. Uh, anyway. And you bring up a I, great I, I think, point. Yeah. You bring up a great point. This point, it was something that I was going to bring up in a little bit, but you, you know, you opened up the box that is Pandora's. Um, you know, something that you don't see nowadays is you're kind of left, nowadays, you're left to your weight. You know, if you're a main eventer, you're only going to be with main event guys. It's very rare um, that you see a main event guy and a mid card guy kind of mingle together, right? So you might right. see, like, in the in the in the grander things. So, for example, right now you have the Usos and Roman Reigns doing something, but there's a bigger story kind of happening with them. Um, that's the only reason they're kind of co-mingling together. But back then, I found that they were. You know, you had mid-cutters and main eventers and, you know, curtain jerkers all together. And everyone knew that Hulk Hogan was the guy. Everyone knew that Ultimate Warrior was the guy. But they were all able to believably be together on the same card, on the same team. Now, if you get Roman Reigns and, like, you know, fuck, I don't know, The Miz together, you're going to laugh. You're going to think it's bullshit. Yeah, and Roman Reigns is going to beat him around and, and kick his ass and then either win in five minutes or lose. No, not even lose. Or, or just, like, there'll be a dumb DQ finish due to interference or whatever. But, like, yeah, uh, I don't know. It's not as exciting. Uh, part of it is the three-hour Raws where all of these guys have wrestled each other a zillion times and nothing means anything anymore. That's obviously a huge problem. How you remedy that, I don't know. But going to formats like primetime wrestling might do some help, you know? Anyway. But a format like that wouldn't be believable anymore because now you are accustomed and you want and you need to see the big guys. Can you imagine if um, they did a primetime wrestling format on Fox and you didn't see Roman Reigns every week? Yeah, no, you're completely right. I'm sure Fox wouldn't hate it. And I'm sure USA would feel the same about Raw. Like, like, like I said, like the toothpaste is out of this tube. I don't know how you go back, but it sucks that they had to do it like that in the Monday Night Wars almost. Although the Monday Night Wars were incredible. That this that's I think that's a big part of the reason why though Boris it's a big part of the reason why it just felt so much more exciting and bigger back in the day. All right, we're gonna hit the theme music because I used to love that every pay per view had its own theme. I love it. I love the one the of, acoustic, one of the, the big ones. band feel. What's really cool about this intro and everyone, again, hit pause, go back, watch this intro, come back to the show and listen to the rest of our review. And that's because as Vince McMahon is introducing all of the teams, they obviously had to redo the card for a few guys because, you know, there was the, it was obviously cut in. It wasn't the same tone. They couldn't match the, the, the sound. So I believe he it was, um, Akeem, for example, they had to replace Akeem with bad news Brown. Um, so it just sounded off to say the least. <laughs> That's really funny. I actually didn't notice because I was so into Vince McMahon, just screaming the card at us. It was awesome. Yep. All right, we're going to jump into the matches. Match number one was the Dream Team, which was the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, Brutus Beefcake, the Red Rooster, and Chico <laughs> Santana versus the Enforcers. And that's, I know it's Tito, guys. I just love calling him Chico. Versus the Enforcers, which consisted of the Big Boss Man, Bad News Brown, 
Rick Martell, and the Honky Tonk Man with Jimmy Hart and Slick. What was the Red Rooster supposed to be, though? What? <laughs> but what? But what is he? But what is this man? <laughs> I don't know, man. He's he's a rooster. He's a rooster enthusiast. <laughs> Vince McMahon was on one in 1989, like between Dusty and the Polka Dots and, and poor Terry Taylor with this fucking crazy gimmick. Like uh, he was just punishing people who dared dissent from the from WWF in, uh, in the mid 80s and go to the NWA because, man, there were some embarrassing gimmicks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, as I mentioned earlier, Bad News Brown replaced Akeem, who was out with an ankle injury, two weeks before the show. He also participated in the same elimination sequence as the year before. So, it was kind of like, you know, you had your Kofi Kingston Royal Rumble gag. You had your Brad News Brown uh, Survivor Series gag in the 80s. That's so funny. I never even considered that. The parallels. Um yeah, so I don't know how you want to do this because there's, like, lots going on in these matches. They're, like, between 20 and 30 minutes. Do you want to kind of just go through the eliminations yeah, quick? We're going to go through the eliminations, and then we're going to talk about what we thought of the overall match. If there's something that stands out, we'll bring it up, but we'll go through the eliminations. So here we go. Elimination number one, Tito Santana, or as I love to call him, and as Jesse Ventura loves to call him, Chico was eliminated by none other than Rick Martel at 9 minutes and 16 seconds. Bad News Brown was then eliminated by countout. At 15.27, Honky Tonk Man was eliminated by Brutus Beefcake at 17.25. Rick Martel was then eliminated by Brutus Beefcake at 20.14. The Red Rooster was eliminated by Big Boss at 20.59. And then the Big Boss Man was eliminated by Dusty Rhodes at 22.01. Your survivors, Dusty Rhodes and Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Ah, nice. So two things stand out to me here. First of all, Martel pins Tito with the schoolboy in the first couple minutes of this match. You would think building to a future pay-per-view match between two awesome wrestlers and two, you know, two former humongous stars in wrestling who still have some big star power. They could have definitely sold tickets. They never wrestled on pay-per-view. They had a short match on a Saturday night's main event and they went around the house show loop and that was pretty much it. They always kind of hated each other in kayfabe, but they never did the big blow-off match. If this was today, they would have had ladder matches. They would have had, they would have both been in an elimination chamber, TLC. Yeah, anyway. Uh, also, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to, no, I was, I was agreeing with you that like, that's the difference between then and now. I don't think that you ever had a blow off match between the two former members of strike force. Tragic really. Cause that, that feud had so much meat on that bone that I feel like that, that was just a miss. That was just an outright miss by WWF. Also Brutus beefcake reverses an O'Connor roll to pin Rick Martel fucking gag me with a wooden spoon to death. How dare you? How fucking also, dare you? Anyway, but, sorry. I know, Brutus, <laughs> I know beefcake had interesting attire most of the time but what the fuck is he wearing this night oh man it's especially crazy and patchy and yeah this was bruce beefcake was never a great wrestler ever once in his life he got two straight wins if he's gonna pin the honky tonk man clean fine if you don't you got it rick martell are you yeah you're kidding me it pays to be, be friends with hogan brother 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 said every wrestling podcast ever but it's true it's yep. true Exactly. Um, one thing, uh, as you were talking about Chico Santana, I wanted to bring up, there's now a match going around in the internet from Spain, and it's The Undertaker versus Tito Santana. 
I've seen this. I saw this. It, it surfaced and like went away years ago, and now it's kind of because uh, I saw it in like 2011 or 12 on YouTube, and then I was looking for it again and I couldn't find it. But yeah, this match is is pretty fun, and he wins. Tito yeah. wins. He Tito wins, and I was my heart was hurting for the education system. The amount of people in the comments of this video that said, of course he would win. He's at home in Spain. Oh, God. Oh, no, you never want to see that. He's from Tijuana, Mexico, man. <laughs> He's the fucking Mexican sensation, Tito Santana. Yeah, yeah. Nah. All right. Uh, so as, as for a rating on this match, Boris, uh, I don't, personally, I thought if you picture... 1980s Survivor Series match, you picture this. This was about as average as a Survivor Series 80s match could get. Was it technically sound? No. But it was it was very, very it was it was watchable. It was, it was fine. It moved along. We got some pretty egregious finishes, but you know, I, I, I enjoyed it for what it was. I would go average match, two and a half stars, 50%, two and a half Dino Bravo push-ups, excuse me, 50% push-up percentage. Yep. After the match, we get a big bossman promo, um, and he's basically saying that Dusty Rhodes is in for his time. He crossed the line as he continues feud with Dusty. It was a cool. I love. I like the angle of this promo because it's like right after the 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 curtain, so you can speak or peek into the ring. Um, it was just. It looked kind of nice, you know. Yeah. It's I, I feel like they did this on some older WWF shows, but I do like this angle. It's like the gorilla position angle, but you can kind of see the ring. Yep. It's pretty nice. Let's remember that at this point, the gorilla position was not like this lavish room with TVs and monitors and like all this stuff. It was literally Bruce Pritchard, most likely, or Vince McMahon on a desk, making sure yeah. that people come in and out at the right time. With a monitor, if they're lucky, probably by 89, they had one regularly at every show. But yeah, like, yeah, it was definitely not like the elaborate scene that you see today. Yeah. All right. And then after the boss man promo. Okay. Back because this is the last time we see the boss man for the night. I, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm going to die in a hill on this one. And I think that, and I always forgot that boss man was a heel for a while. Here's the scenario. Nails. When Nails oh. debuted. <laughs> Go on. And before he chokes out Vince McMahon to be fired, what if Nails was telling the truth and he was actually innocent because Big Boss Man hurled him in jail when he was a heel? I, I think that's an interesting little twist to the story. Perhaps he took this poor innocent man and turned him insane. Insane with rage he did. But uh, but judging by Nails' character, I'm gonna I'm gonna side with the boss man on this one. I mean, he probably he probably made the right decision. Yeah, exactly. I'm just I'm just I'm just saying. Yeah, All right, we're gonna move on. It's a fun little fun little fan theory, fun little fan wrinkle. Yeah, man. All right, <laughs> we're gonna get a promo by the four by fours, which is Jim Duggan, Bret Hart, Ronnie Garvin, and Hercules. This was almost as good as the Ultimate Warrior promos. The four guys are playing around with their four by fours, and at some point they all pretend to shoot rifles at the same time. It was really weird. They were swinging the four by fours around. Someone was bound to be hit. Uh, my roommate, actually a hilarious comedian, Fleetwood Brown, you'll see him around when the, the world starts back up in 2029. But uh, so he pointed out that, OK, so these guys are the four by fours because there's four of them, but they carry two by fours. Why not just call them the fucking two by fours? Like why there's there's this doesn't make any sense. Like, I don't know. 
as as uh, swing and a miss for WWF cheesy Survivor Series names. They, they could be the two by fours or the four two by fours. I guess that it's too much. That's too wordy. But the four by fours doesn't make sense. Or if you're going to call them the four by fours, why not give them an actual four by four? That's a thicker piece of wood. It's a harsher weapon, Boris. It would do more damage. <laughs> there was a sale on two by fours, man. <laughs> Just I don't know. I don't know. Yep. All right, so match number two was the King's Court, which consisted of Macho King, Randy Savage, Canadian Earthquake, Dino Bravo, and Greg the Hammer Valentine with Jimmy Hart and Macho Queen, Sensational Queen Sherry, versus the 4x4s, Jim Duggan, Bret Hart, Ronnie Garvin, and Hercules. All right, so some fun facts of the match before we get into the actual match itself. So... Bret Hart's famous injury story from Wrestling With Shadows happened less than four weeks before the show. For those of you who don't know this story, um, it's very famous. Uh, essentially, in t- Toronto's famous Maple Leaf Gardens, Hart was knocked from the ring apron, breaking his sternum and fractured many ribs after hitting the metal barricade. He was in a match against Dino Bravo. He was told he was going to be out for three months, but... Hart returned six nights before the Survivor Series. He said that his ribs would bother him for years and years and years. And in this match, um, so this is the the match that I was alluding to earlier when Macho Man grabbed Hart after the match and said to Vince, I want to fight this guy. At some point, Macho Man does his world-famous elbow, and he actually hits Hart a little hard, and apparently Hart could barely breathe after the match. Oh, wow. All right. So initially, Barry Windham was to compete at Survivor Series on Randy Savage's Kings Court team, but ended up being replaced by newcomer Earthquake. Wyndham's the Canadian last... Earthquake yeah. at this oh, point. Oh, oh, sorry. Canadian Earthquake. Wyndham's last television match was filmed in early October and aired six weeks later, 11 days before the Survivor Series, so he had televised presence fairly close to the Thanksgiving pay-per-view. In reality, Wyndham had a few issues going on in his personal life. Um, reportedly, allegedly, he had um, a benign tumor removed from his chest in mid-October. Additionally, in December, Wyndham's father, um, Robert Blackjack Mulligan, and brother Kendall were arrested for their part in a counterfeiting ring. Despite all of the troubles going on outside of the ring, Wyndham did resurface in NWA WCW in May of 1990. Um, Last fun fact, Macho Man, Macho King, was the first man to survive three years straight. Nice. Oh, yeah, Boris. All right. Um, so, yeah, so we, we touched on the Canadian earthquake. I want to go back to that. So, obviously, they dropped the Canadian because Vince, LOL. But I feel like any nationality in front of earthquake is a better name than just earthquake. Like the Swedish earthquake, the Norwegian earthquake, the Mexican earthquake, the, I don't know, Finnish earthquake. I wanted to go so many Scandinavian countries. Uh, <laughs> playing too much NHL. But... The, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just I, I feel like the Canadian earthquake should have stuck around. I love that name. Yep, I agree. All right. So in the match, the first man eliminated was Hercules, eliminated by earthquake at 4:09. The second elimination was Greg Valentine, and he was eliminated by Jim Duggan at 7:30. The third elimination was Ronnie Garvin, and he was eliminated by Dino Bravo at 11:14. The next elimination was Bret Hart, 
and he was eliminated by Randy Savage at 19:02. And then, Jim if I may Duck- interrupt, if, yes, if I may interrupt briefly, so just to just to just to clarify what just happened, Randy Savage pinned Bret the fucking Hitman Hart with the top rope elbow in the middle of the ring of a WWF pay per view. Thank you. Yep. See, I'm telling you. Bret Hart and Savage would have been money. And another thing um, that, uh, you know, if you listen to the crowd, when Bret Hart was tagged in and Savage was tagged in, they were tagged at the same time, and they just stared off into each other's fucking eyes, and the crowd (laughs) ate it up. Bret Hart was super over here. Oh, man, absolutely. Well, the thing is, like, even back in the day, like, wrestling fans knew good wrestlers, and they could tell that Bret Hart was an incredible wrestler, and that's why people liked him. This guy's sick, man. Like, yo, check out this Bret Hart guy, bud. Yo, fuck, man. Fucking, he's Canadian too, bud. You know, that kind of thing. Exactly. No, 100%. All right, and then the last elimination was Jim Duggan, and he was counted out at 23-21. So your survivors were Randy Savage, Earthquake, and Dino Bravo. I like this match. I thought it was, you know, slightly above average. It wasn't an all-time classic. We'd have to talk about that, too. Has there ever been an all-time classic, like a four and a half or above Survivor Series match? I think no. Maybe the Dolph Ziggler one with Sting and stuff. Maybe the Shawn Michaels one, but I, I don't even know if either of those. But anyway, I would say this was a three Dino Bravo push-up match. Highly watchable. Ton of fun. Uh not something you're gonna bounce your grandkids on the on your knee and tell them about, but sixty out of a hundred kind of kind of solid watchable match. Yeah, 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 I, I would agree. Right on, <laughs> very good, then, sir. All right, we'll move on then. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, we we gave each other a very awkward look there. All right, <laughs> we will move on because believe it or not, it's time for Hulk Hogan. To get his time. I guess he wanted out of the building. Or he wanted at the turkey table. Early. Uh, But Hulk Hogan's match was up next. Um, So the Hulkamaniacs. Which featured Hulk Hogan. Demolition. Axe and Smash. And Jake Roberts. And they squared off against the million dollar team. Ted DiBiase. Powers of Pain. Which consisted of. The Warlord. And the Barbarian. um, And the last member of the team. Was Zeus. <laughs> Debo from Friday. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So also, it was, uh, sorry, it, it was so funny because I've been watching Fresh Prince on Crave TV in Canada. And uh, for some reason, the Fresh Prince episode that I watched directly before watching the Survivor Series, Zeus was in it. He was he was a scary he was a scary friend of Will's that Carlton yeah. ended up befriending and becoming the leader of. Yeah. It's so funny, man. I remember you texted me. That's like, I just watched this since you showed up. So we need to do it. We need to we need to watch the match and the movie. The match, yeah. the movie, no holds barred. 100%. 1,000% down. I might regret it 10 minutes into the movie or the match, but let's do it. Have you ever seen the movie? I have definitely seen the movie as a kid a couple times. And then recently-ish, I think. But uh, I did. I don't remember too much about it. Except I, I remember a couple lines and the, definitely the wrestling scene at the end. But yeah. All right. So the match kicks off with Zeus and Hulk Hogan. The only reason I'm talking about it is because essentially Hulk Hogan was scared. He didn't know what he was gonna do. Uh, he goes to attack Zeus. Zeus with, withstands the attack. Zeus gets Hogan down, chokes him. 
referee Earl Hebner tries to get him off. He gets pushed once. Then referee Earl Hebner, as Zeus is choking the Hulk Hogan, he gets pulled off again. You know, at this, it's the 80s. You, you got to respect the refs. You got to no. respect the refs. So Zeus gets himself, himself eliminated at 320. Yeah, for for choking Hulk Hogan and shoving away poor, uh, I believe it was Earl Hebner in this yeah, match. Was the it was official. Earl? It was Earl. It wasn't his brother, Merle. <laughs> yes, Merle, Merle Hebner, the dreaded third Hebner brother. <laughs> oh man! All right. I think his brother was Dave Hebner. I believe. Yeah, it was right. Dave. <laughs> That's hilarious, Merle Hebner. Oh lord. Uh, I, that's a match we gotta watch at some point. No, oh, for sure. We all right. Yeah. So then all this... these eighties. Let's just watch the entire nineteen eighties. But yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah. Back Second back. elimination. Uh, Axe was eliminated by the Warlord at nine forty nine. Smash was eliminated by Barbarian at thirteen forty one. Um, Barbarian and the Warlord were eliminated by DQ at nineteen forty eight. Jake Roberts was eliminated by Ted DiBiase at 23.48. And then Ted DiBiase was eliminated by Hulk Hogan at 27.23. Your sole survivor, Hulk Hogan. So a couple things about this match. Hulk Hogan spent most of the match on his back or on a rope. He was getting his ass kicked throughout the match. Um, And he didn't even Hulk up. He just, like, got his strength, did the um, the big foot, did his leg drop, and he won the match. It was pretty simple. I'm actually surprised you mentioned that. I didn't notice, like, watching it. But, yeah, there was no Hulk up. It was, it was, I, I, there wasn't, wasn't there? That's uh, that's funny. So, yeah, I, I, something I wanted to point out about the match was I loved the finish, uh, DiBiase's elimination on Jake Roberts. I love this. So Jake pulls Virgil into the ring and hits Virgil with the DDT. And as soon as Jake hits the ground on the DDT, DiBiase hits Jake with his sweet, fist drop move that he does like the falling fist drop and then immediately gets the heel foot on the ropes pin for a one two three yeah, Loved it great it. Loved it, was, it. it was so well done and another hot take from this match is i do think that ted dibiase should have be hulk hogan Oof! You'd have to you'd have to find the exact right time to pull that trigger. It was probably WrestleMania four, actually, which they were gonna do. But uh, yeah, I I could see that Hogan should have lost at least to Perfect and probably to DiBiase, maybe to Piper as well. But then then he wasn't Hogan. If he loses to all three of those guys, then he's no longer Hogan. But so just remember, it's tough to say. At this point, you know you had to have face versus face at WrestleMania because there wasn't a heel. If DiBiase yeah. gets the win here. That could have been the build-up to WrestleMania six. Um, you know, I not only would you have gotten a super heel after this, but it wasn't the main event, so fans would not have gone home unhappy uh, with Hulk Hogan not getting the win. Yeah, you know what? I I think uh, you you're right about that, and it would have, would have certainly helped. But yeah, Hogan wasn't losing in the eighties. Uh, although he did lose in the first Survivor Series, he wasn't losing. Very often. Uh, so I'm, I'm torn on my rating. I think I'm going to go with three Dino Bravos out of five for this one. And I'll tell you why I slightly bumped it above average. Because the MVP of this match was Jesse Ventura on commentary. He <laughs> held this thing together. He told you exactly what was happening throughout. Hulk Hogan got three people disqualified against him in this fight. And boy, was Jesse upset about that. It was so, so very entertaining. 
The back and forth between Jesse and Gorilla Monsoon here was incredible. And this is something that you don't see with commentators anymore. Um, you know, AEW, fine, whatever. WWE, let's focus on WWE right now. These commentators nowadays make fun of the product because they act as if they're above the product, smarter than the product. Here, you literally had, it was that sports feeling. You had Gorilla Monsoon defending Hulk Hogan and defending everything Hulk Hogan did to the death because he's the good guy. And then you had Jesse Ventura calling Hulk Hogan and Gorilla Monsoon out for all their bullshit. One thing I absolutely always found funny about Hulk Hogan is the fact that for the biggest face in the world, he did a lot of cheap things. Absolutely. Rake in the back, rake in the eyes. You know, fucking yeah, you know, Hulk Hogan was uh, kind of a sneaky, sneaky, dirty heel, but uh, yeah, he was also he was also incredible at getting sympathy. And to be fair, Zeus did choke him to the point of like nearly murdering him. And the Barbarian and the Warlord were neither the legal man when they, or maybe one of them was the legal man when they delivered the spike pile driver on Hogan. Quite an illegal move. So these things were infractions against the rules. It's not like there was, you know special or preferential treatment for Hogan. But at the same time, when do you ever see disqualifications? Perhaps it was, you know, a little bit of, a little bit of chicanery with Hogan and Hebner. Yeah. Merle. <laughs> I'm telling you, it wasn't Earl. He was he was tied up in the back. It was, it was Merle. How many Hebner brothers are there? <laughs> I love it. Yeah, All right. This was, yeah. this so, was quintessential 80s, but uh, yeah, J- Jesse, Jesse Ventura helped put this over the top. Yep, and I'm guessing at this point it was uh, intermission time because we had a few promos. All right, the first promo was with Roddy Piper and his team. Um, so we are in the back by some stairs, uh, and Roddy Piper is scolding the Bushwhackers and Jimmy Snuka for eating a giant turkey, um, and they're literally eating the carcass, hiding the carcass in their trunks. Um, Piper hired these savages for his team and wanted to keep them hungry for this match. Literally. Um, this was built as a brawlers versus technical wrestlers match. Piper is widely known as a great heel. But at this point, Piper was also a huge face. Um, it was just funny because it's like anyone could be anything at this point. And then after this, we get a promo with the Macho King, Randy Savage, and Zeus. They're talking and starting to hype their match on December 27th. No holds barred. The movie. The match. Then we jump to a Brutus Beefcake beefcake promo where he's just talking about how he was a survivor in the the match. As As Hogan walks in and they hug each other, greet each other. Hogan looks exhausted. Hogan looks like he just got choked out a few times. And then that's when, as Hulk Hogan is telling us to eat our vitamins and say our prayers, Sherry Martell walks right beside Hulk Hogan, starts yelling it at him. And then all of a sudden, you get the dust in the eyes. And they're blinded as Zeus and the Macho King attack Hulk Hogan and Brutus Beefcake. And this is when the entire roster comes to separate all the men. And that is your setup for No Holds Barred, the match, the movie, the movie, the match, No Holds Barred, December 27th. By God! Yeah, this was was a really fun little thing. I love Sherry Martell and Macho Man just feeding off each other's insanity to create a ball of super insanity. It's 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 always just a delight, just a treat to watch. 
Yep. All right, so the next match is my personal favorite team name ever, and that's the Rude Brood, which consisted of Rick Rude, Mr. Perfect, and these guys. I'm just gonna let that play as we talk about this match. So the last two members of this team were none other than the fabulous Rougeau brothers, Jacques and Ray Rougeau, with the greatest entrance theme in all of professional wrestling. Indisputable fact, 10 out of 10 theme. Just... <laughs> so, so ridiculously great and weird and kind of dumb but amazing the the uh the passion that i believe it's probably i think it's raymond judging by his voice but i can't really tell but the passion that he has in his voice when he hits the uh from montreal to memphis parlez-vous francais and he just leans into it with all the barry manilow he can possibly yeah. muster it's so good it's just so ridiculously yep. stupid you see i didn't remember the rougeau brothers i obviously remember the mountie I obviously remember the Quebecers with Raven or Johnny Polo as their manager. Ah. Um, but yeah, I never really knew Ray Rougeau as a wrestler. So going back in time, going to the vault and watching these matches is always a lot of fun. All right. So the Rude Brood is going to face Roddy's Roddy's, which consisted of Roddy Piper, Jamie Snuka, and the Bushwhackers, Butch and Luke. All Oof. right. So... Let's get in down to business. Jacques Rougeau was eliminated by Jimmy Snuka at four minutes exactly. Then Raymond Rougeau was eliminated by Roddy Piper at 7.47. Bushwhacker Butch was eliminated by Mr. Perfect at 10.44. Bushwhacker Luke was eliminated by Rick Rude at 12.14. Roddy Piper and Rick Rude were counted out at 18.39, as they brawled all around the arena, all the way to the back. And then Jimmy Snuka was eliminated by Mr. Perfect at 23.16, with a beautiful Perfect Plex. I, uh, my notes read, Perfect Pin Snuka's murdering ass with the Perfect Plex, unreal, go fuck yourself. So, <laughs> that, that, that was my thoughts on the match. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Uh, yeah, so, so this was, I think, the best bad match I've ever seen. This match was objectively terrible, but I couldn't hate it. I couldn't say it's bad. I refuse to say it's bad. I'm going to give it three Dino Bravo push-ups uh, for a 60%. Again, I'm not going to tell you it was a classic and you'll, you'll remember it for the rest of your life. But this was a fun, fun match that was probably objectively terrible. Like, I bet Dave Meltzer didn't rate this match very highly. I would not be surprised if it was negative stars, honestly. Although it wasn't, it wasn't like, that bad, but I loved it. it I love the fact that you say this. 
because I have the <laughs> I have the rating because I don't know I, I we're starting to get this man we're starting to like we don't even need to talk and we understand what we're gonna do because I looked oh, wow. up Dave Meltzer's star rating. Oh my god, I'm so interested. I'm so interested to know. I bet he rated it. I bet he rated it one and a half or like one to one and a half ish. Three and a quarter. Really? Oh, Dave! Oh, you, oh, you know what? How, how, how dare I doubt Uncle Dave? He knows his wrestling. Good for you, Uncle Dave. I agree. You know what? Let's officially bump it up to three and a quarter. Three and a quarter Dito Bravo push-ups in honor oh, no. of Uncle Dave. Yep, sorry. Three. Three. The next match got three and a quarter. Ah, so I was right. So, Well, yeah. right. Yeah. It's, it's not the way, right way to put it, but we agreed is what I should say. Yep. Basically, you are Uncle Dave now. <laughs> Uh, it feels good, Boris. I've earned it through my hard podcasting career. Five shows in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I love it. I absolutely love it. All right. So, yeah, there's not much to say. I really enjoyed the Rick Rude, Roddy Piper stuff. They were literally rolling on each other as they went to the back. It was actually hilarious to watch. Mr. Perfect does great in this match. And again, should have pushed him to the moon. To the moon, as Cameron yeah. Grimes would yeah. say. I uh, couldn't agree with you more, and I've already loudly agreed with that on this show. So we don't need to say anymore. Exactly. All right. So then it is time for the official main event of the evening as the Ultimate Warriors, which consists of the Ultimate Warrior, the Rockers, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty, and Jim the Anvil Neidhart. And they faced the Heenan family, which consisted of Andre the Giant, Haku, Arn Anderson, and what should have been Tully Anderson, but it wasn't. Tully Blanchard. Oh, yeah. Tully, Tully, Tully Anderson. Wow. I keep doing <laughs> that. Anyway, Tully Blanchard, but he was replaced on the day of the event by Bobby Heenan. Is that actually a kind of a shitty, I don't know if sad's the right word, but super shitty for, for Tully himself. And, uh, you know, it's, it's sad for wrestling because Tully was great. But this was one of the great cell phones in wrestling history because Tully Blanchard failed his drug test and kind of like left WWF on pretty horrible terms, only to hopefully be signed by WCW, which he thought he had in the, like in the bank already. But they respected the failed drug test and didn't bring him in. And he kind of... Ended his wrestling career here in 1989 over this whole situation. Yeah, it was. That's exactly it. And again, as we mentioned so many times in this show, this match was given the main event uh, booking because they wanted to test the crowd out and see how they would react to the ultimate ultimate warriors. Awesome electric um, electric guitar music closing the show. <laughs> and uh, I would say that they took to it quite nicely. Yeah, yeah. This is also the first time, well, not the first time, but one of the first time, or the first time in a pay-per-view that Andre the Giant and Haku teamed up together. Um, after this, they obviously formed the Colossal Connection, um, and this was in part to fill a void because uh, the departure of Anderson and Blanchard, but also because of the ailing Andre the Giant. Um, you know, they eventually would go on to win the belts, uh, and then they would lose them and drop them at WrestleMania 6 in Toronto, which my favorite Toronto f WrestleMania fact is that Hulk Hogan is 0-2 at WrestleManias in Toronto. That's so funny because he's had two classics and you associate Hulk, Hulk Hogan with Toronto a lot. He's sold this city out three times. He's had massive, massive, massive shows in this yep. city. Three 
of the biggest shows in wrestling history were made by Hulk Hogan in Toronto. But that's crazy. Owen too. At least he beat Orndorff in 86. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The big event, was it called? I think it was the big event, yes. Yeah. Quite quite the name. Yeah, I wasn't here when that happened. But I was at Exhibition Stadium, which is now on the location where BMO Field is, where Toronto FC plays, uh, 20 years later when they did a house show, um, which was headlined by Shawn Michaels versus Goldust in a ladder match. Oh, wow. That was probably really good. It actually really was. It was a pretty good match. Um, I remember that the Ultimate Warrior was scheduled to appear, but uh, his second reign didn't last long, so he was gone by then. But yeah, just some we're spitting out some Toronto facts. Yeah, fans. no doubt. Uh, BMO Field is also right beside Medieval Times, where I used to be a man wench. Little fun fact for you there. There you go. <laughs> All right. Um, so, by yeah, request, Boris, you- Matt. You got the reins on yes, this one. If you don't mind, uh, may I? I don't have the time, so maybe you can help fill those in for me. I'll do, although I do have the first time, because as I as I noted here and went back and fucking timed to myself, Andre the Giant is fucking counted out at zero minutes and 27 seconds of this Survivor Series contest. Yes, he was. And, you know, essentially Ultimate Warrior hits him, and he kind of flops outside. And it was like, at this point, I felt so bad for the guy. Like, he just looked so fragile lying there and how slowly he had to go down. And you, you just felt for the guy. Yeah, you know what? And I, I was singing his praises and how much he looked like a star through doing nothing. But he didn't really look like a star too much on this night. He looked like a frail, uh, you know, elderly giant almost, even though he was, what, 39, 41 maybe? Yeah. I, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. But uh, anyway, so moving on. Andre the Giant counted out at 0.27. Haku pins Jim, Jim Neidhart with Sweet Chin Music, brackets Sweet Chin Hawk Music. Uh, that's a bad joke. Bobby Heenan pins Marty Janetti after a knee drop raffle. Shawn Michaels pins Haku with a top rope high cross body. Nice. Art Anderson pins Shawn Michaels with the single nicest spine buster in wrestling history up to yep. that point. Yep. Period. This is the one you see on different, you know, video clips and gifs and stuff. Possibly still the nicest spine buster ever to this day. Uh, and then, of course, Ultimate Warrior pins Anderson with Ultimate Splash. Ultimate Warrior pins Bobby Heenan with Ultimate Splash. Well, at least he didn't kill him. Winner, Ultimate Warrior. Exactly. So there you go. Your survivor, your sole survivor was the ultimate warrior. And one thing I really enjoyed about this match actually was you kind of saw the 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 seeds of issues with the Heenan family as Arn Anderson kept telling Heenan to come back into the match. Heenan was ignoring him or Heenan would come into the match and two seconds later would tag Arn back into the ring. Uh, this was not a technical classic, but I loved the storytelling throughout this match. It was up and down throughout it. I like it when they can book the heels to get their comeuppance and the heels to eat shit in a in a satisfying way that doesn't ruin future storylines, but helps to tell future storylines, you know? And this was a good example of that. Like, it's very easy to just have all the baby faces win all the time, but then what do you have? You don't have wrestling. So if you're going to do a big baby face, like finally got one over on the heels you got to do it in an entertaining way and in something that plants a seed for later and this is what they did here i thought this was fantastic i thought this was probably the best survivor series match in the 80s i think maybe maybe that's bold but i think it's the most memorable one for sure i'm gonna go three and a half 
Dino Bravo push-ups for 70% Dino Bravo push-up percentage on this one. Yep, and overall, this pay-per-view garnered 385,000 pay-per-view buys. This was the most watched Survivor Series pay-per-view of the first three, beating out all, beating out the inaugural inaugural event at 325,000. So there you go, nice little fun fact to round out the show. So that is the show, and I love the fact that once the Ultimate Warrior Ultimate Warrior won, his music hit, the runs a little bit and runs the fuck to the back, just and then gone. It, and hits Heenan in the back of the head as he's done. And then <laughs> and I, I should have thought about that. And then Gorilla Monsoon is like, Well, it's over question mark. <laughs> the end question yeah. mark. Heenan emerges from the grip. No, that was that yeah, that was really fun. So I think we probably both have the same well, I, I think we probably have the same promo on match of the night. I think promo of the night easily, easily, easily the pre match Thanksgiving promos. All-time classic stuff. Match of the night, main event. Main event, huh? Huh. Main event. I'm going to have to go with the previous match, which had um, the uh, Roddy Piper and uh, against the Rude Brood. That's definitely, it was definitely really fun. It was very satisfying to see Perfect get a decisive win in that. They kept Rude and Piper going. Poor Rujos in that match, though. They got jobbed out like they were nothing. And I love so one thing I I forgot to add on my show notes um, was after the match right before the main event they did a promo with Mr. Perfect where you know he's saying how perfect he is and then the Rougeaus are there celebrating like they did a lot in the match it was so fun to watch <laughs> classic shitbag heel maneuver exactly all right Matt that is it that's that's it. That's it. We're done. That's we're a, it. Done. Was a, it's a trip through memory memory lane. We were what two and four respectively, I think, when the show aired. And uh, by God, what a what a time to be alive it was, nineteen eighty nine. I imagine. <laughs> All right. So that is it. We have some upcoming shows we want to tell you about. So on Monday, December seventh, we will be talking all things NXT Takeover. War Games on the WWE Network. <laughs> and you can find that on the Sunday Night's Main Event Radio feed. So it's at SNME Radio, Sunday Night's Main Event.com. Find the Patreon and all the info there. Um, then next Sunday or Saturday night is the show, but it'll come out on Sunday. And this was originally slated. For the It's Canon podcast feed, but it, it got bumped, bro. It got it got bumped to the main show, the main card. Oh, oh man, we got we're getting promoted. Yep. Back out, Boris. Well, that's, that's exciting. But the the show will be uh Triple A Mania, Triple A. I'm excited. Yep. Triple Mania from Triple A in Mexico, with the main event being Laredo Kid versus Kenneth Omega. <laughs> Laredo kid and uh yeah it, it's a pretty interesting card uh there's uh there's a lucha bros appearance there's a marvel comics crossover yep yep there's also a hair v mask match and that will probably end the show um because in triple a belts don't mean much so you know that's right. what it's it's all about their legends it's all about the uh, the 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 gimmick matches of mask v mask mask v hair yeah, absolutely. It's it's definitely a, a, a slightly different product, but I'm I'm very excited to check the show out. And uh, yeah, thank you again to everyone who's listened and who supported us throughout yeah. the way. And we're gonna just keep on keep on rolling. Keep and exactly keeping on con- content provided. And in the spirit of Christmas and the spirit of the holidays, Matt, I'm gonna give you a show to watch 
Matt's going to give me a show to watch, and we're going to watch them, and we're going to talk about both shows on Thursday, December the 24th, at the It's Canon Podcast feed. You'll be able to find that show. It's the NXT Talk Christmas special, and it's part of the It's Canon Podcast 12 Days of Christmas event. That's 12 days leading into Christmas. Each day, new podcast. We are actually going to be talking about Star Trek, The Lower Decks. Every day we're going to have a review of a new episode. So not long uh, shows, but 12 Days of Christmas, why not? Awesome, man. I was excited to hear it. Uh, it's canon, still rolling along as well. You're the hardest working man in podcasting. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. And so you can... <laughs> All right, you can find us on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, at NXT Talk Podcast. Um, you can also email us, and we have a new email. Get your pen, boys and girls. You can email us at NXT, NXT Talk Podcast. So you, it's show at NXT Talk Podcast.com. We got our own dot com, baby. Moving on up. You know you're official and established when you buy a URL. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Matt, do you have no, but yeah, th- thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much uh, for uh, all your suggestions. we got a couple more coming up. And if you ever want to make a suggestion, we will try to eventually get to it. We promise. Uh, might not be immediately or right away, but, uh, you know, fan fan interest how could you how could you hate on that if you suggest a show to us we're gonna try to watch it so exactly so without further ado we're gonna leave you with the greatest theme in all of pro wrestling the theme of the fabulous rougeos do you speak french ah merci merci tout le monde he's matt i'm boris the show nxt talk goodbye all we like to listen